The conclusion, does vasopressin improve kidney function? I, I think I would have to say yes. This is now the fifth randomized control trial that supports that creatinine and urine output improves on vasopressin. What was the dose range? Uh, for this study, it went up to 0.3. You're nervous. You think you have a good point to make, and you ruminate over it for several minutes while other people make their points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they titrated it. But on some of the other studies, they went in titrated One of the attendings finishes up his excellent point. That signal about the peripheral ischemia, though, is... Now everyone is nodding their head in unison, and there's a brief moan of silence. This is your chance. Speak up. But what if they don't agree with me? What if I get ripped apart by the attendings? And what if I misinterpreted the article? My article appraisal skills are nowhere near these guys. But while you pause and process, the next person speaks up. And you resign yourself to speaking up at the next journal club. Hey there, and welcome to Pwncast. This is the first of our journal club series, and we're going to be talking about critical appraisal and how you can be a better critical appraiser and a better participant at Journal Club and a better practitioner of medicine. John, why are we recording a bunch of Journal Club episodes? So I've been the lucky person responsible for running Journal Club in our group for several years now, but what we've noticed is the same five or six people speak up at every Journal Club. And so when we started asking people why that was, we started to find out they really felt like their critical appraisal skills were not up to par of those people who were routinely speaking in Journal Club. I think some of it is imposter syndrome. When I've talked to them about the articles afterwards, they knew nearly as much as the people speaking up. So some of it is just getting used to this, getting comfortable with the terminology, and then start speaking up in Journal Club and just getting better at it through practice. So your message to people who would feel otherwise inadequate or uncomfortable at Journal Club is that they do add value, even among attendings who may be much more knowledgeable than they are. That's a big reason we're doing this podcast, to get people interested in Journal Club again and for them to realize why it's important and to not discount its importance in in their daily lives of taking care of patients and to bring those people's critical appraisal skills up So they feel a lot more comfortable in Journal Club. The actual Journal Club event is better quality because more people are talking and coming to a group consensus and just makes it better and better over time. That's really what we're looking for. So I think the question that we should start to answer today, John, is what is evidence-based medicine? Dude, that is so obvious. It's in the name. It's evidence-based medicine. Right. Thank you so much, Webster. Can you give us an actual definition of evidence-based medicine? Yeah, it's the most boring class in school. Oh, come on. P-values? It's P-values, right? No. No. Evidence-based medicine is medicine grounded in a clear and comprehensive understanding of the best available evidence. It's an integration of patient values and research and clinical reasoning. It's a lifelong, self-directed, and problem-based search for the truth. It's a fervent guard against bias and critical appraisal of the literature. It's... Hey, Senator, I think you're getting a little carried away. Right. Uh, Okay. So, sorry. Evidence-based medicine really involves three components. Number one, an awareness of the best available evidence and where to find it. Number two, an evaluation of the quality of evidence, i.e., critical appraisal. And number three, an integration of the evidence with the patient's values and preferences. 
Hmm. Evidence-based medicine sounds like homework. Assigned readings, evaluation of literature. Are you assigning me homework? You sort of signed up for a profession where you're expected to be a lifelong learner. I'm listening. But you do bring up a good point. So signal-to-noise ratio. There's so much noise out there, so many sources of information. You know, there are approximately 75 clinical trials and 11 systematic reviews coming out every single day. It would take over four hours every day just to skim all of those articles, let alone critically appraise them. Right. And in addition to traditional medical literature, we now have expert opinions, editorials, textbooks, letters to the editors, bedside education, and now FOAM, or free open access medical education. It can be difficult or impossible to sift through all of it and decide what's actually important. So how are we supposed to turn down the noise and find the signal? I'm glad you asked. Let's get this out of the way. So there's no way that we as individual clinicians can stay up to date on an individual basis. It's impossible. And I have data to back this up in the show notes. So there are really three ways that we can get together and tackle this slew of medical literature as a team. Curators. So these are websites and email lists that scour the best information in a given specialty, and they're provided for you to then read and critically appraise yourself, but some services out there actually do the critical appraisal for you. We'll list some of our favorites in the show notes, things like Palm CCM and Palmcrit, Intensive Care Network, Life in the Fast Lane, so on and so forth. Just check the show notes. Tarted literature searches, typically addressing the answer to a PICO question, which is population, intervention, comparator, and outcome, you can read these articles and critically appraise them yourself and share with others. Hashtag post-it pearls. And lastly, Journal Club. This is where you can present, discuss, and critically appraise literature as a group, and this can occur online, like Twitter journal clubs, or in person. And, you know, I think these are really high yield. They're a great opportunity to stay up to date to learn how to critically appraise literature from our attendings, and to learn how to apply new information to our clinical practice. Are you okay, man? Yes, sorry. All this mention of journal clubs and literature searches and critical appraisal makes me kind of nervous. It's okay, man. We're in this together. We'll get through it together. (laughs) (laughs) So you may have noticed that the common theme between curator services... Targeted literature searches in Journal Club was... Don't tell me. Was it critical appraisal? Ding, ding, ding. You got it. Critical appraisal is such an important skill set. Without it, you're either going to heavily rely on other people to critically appraise information for you, or you'll succumb to bias, heuristics, and misinformation. Granted, heuristics are sometimes the best you have, but if the information is out there, I agree that we should know how to utilize it. Totally agree. So critical appraisal... It's a systematic process that aims to identify the strengths and weaknesses of a research article. In doing this, we assess the validity of research findings and their usefulness in clinical practice. One of my old attendings told me that critical appraisal is the process of absolutely trashing an article. Sometimes it is. We really should be skeptical of everything we read. What was it that Dr. K says all the time? Assume everyone is trying to kill your patient. Including including your your patient. patient. So the process of critical appraisal all starts with a question. And the first question you should ask yourself when reading a paper is, what is the question? What is, what, what, what is the question? <laughs> exactly. And the questions that medical literature seeks to answer are known as PICO or foreground questions. 
Like, why do septic patients get hypotensive? No, that would be a background question. So background questions really get at an underlying pathophysiology of a disease state, but these sorts of questions are addressed really well in, like, medical textbooks. So a foreground question would be more like, among patients with septic shock on vasopressors, does low-dose vasopressin reduce all-cause mortality at 28 days when compared to the addition of norepinephrine? Hey, that's the VAST trial. Nice catch. But yes, that is a great foreground or PICO question. Again, PICO meaning population. In this case, patients with septic shock on vasopressors. Intervention. The addition of vasopressors. Comparator or control. Vasopressin versus norepinephrine. And finally, outcome. In the case of the VAST trial, the authors found that vasopressin did not reduce mortality at 28 days compared to norepinephrine. That was picorific. you got to stop with the lame MBM jokes, man. We're going to lose listeners. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are three types of foreground questions we're going to focus on throughout this series. So, the first is therapy. Does an intervention have a meaningful effect on patient outcomes? Then harm. Very similar to therapy, does a particular variable, disease, or intervention cause harm in a given patient population? And lastly, diagnosis or differential diagnosis. Does a particular piece of subjective or objective data have any value in diagnosing or ruling out a condition? You're going to notice that many of the articles we read in medicine really aim to answer these styles of foreground questions. And throughout the remainder of this Journal Club series... We're going to dive into the world of evidence-based medicine. In doing this, we'll teach you how to be a critical appraisal pro. This series will provide you with high-yield tips and resources to prep you for your next journal club. And really to prep you to take care of your patients using the best available evidence-based medicine. So if you find yourself feeling the heat at your next JC, wondering what you should say, or if you should say anything at all... Let's get nerdy. Until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.